Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast here. Today is Sunday, March 13th. And this morning we were in the book of Acts again, Acts chapter 17, or excuse me, Acts chapter 18, looking at verses 1 through 17. And one of the things that we saw here this morning is, is the faithfulness of Paul, right? So Paul, he was, he, we picked up in the story where he was in Athens at the end of chapter 17. He, he's now on his move. He's on the move again. And he goes, he heads east. He heads to Corinth. Um, Silas and Timothy, they're going to catch up with him. Uh, but as Paul is in Corinth, it's, it's the same predictable rhythm, right? So he goes to the synagogues, this is his normal custom, on the Sabbath day, and he he reasons with both the the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks that are there, appeals to them the gospel, right? That uh, that God loved us so much that he sent his son, his son is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, that Jesus died for us on the cross, and then three days later he came back from the grave. He defeated the grave in the power of his resurrection. And, and there's new life for anybody who believes in Jesus. There's new eternal life for anybody who puts their faith in Jesus. So Paul goes to the synagogue and he, ex- he explains uh, the truth of who Jesus is, the gospel and the eternal life that is on offer for all of us through faith in Christ. Uh, and some believe, uh, and, and others reject it. And then stir a mob up. And so then there's persecution. But Paul is in a vision. Uh, he is is reminded there by, by Jesus in a vision that uh, that he needs to stay in Corinth, that, that God will protect him, and that there are many, many uh, people that are God's people in that city of Corinth. And so there's work to do there. And so that's what Paul does. Paul faithfully stays in Corinth. And so this morning, we explore the idea of faithfulness, and we define faithfulness as taking the next right step of obedience. And now it's built off of how we defined faith a few weeks ago, where we said faith is a forward-looking trust based on or rooted in God's past provision. And so here this morning, coming out of the teaching, we've got a handful of questions, and that's the point of our Beyond the Sermon podcast. We believe that the scriptures deserve a dialogue, that we we want to be talking about them, we want to be wrestling with them, we want to be chewing with them because they're living and active, and they have the power to change our lives and our thinking. And so uh, we've got your questions here this morning uh, about this idea, uh, the passage in Acts, and the idea of faithfulness. So uh, the first is not a question, but it's a statement. And I uh, made a joke, I think, in first hour, and uh, it said, they said, my dad always says, uh, don't pray for patience because you just might get it. And I love that because, again, I made, I made a joke about, you know, how, how many of us have ever prayed for patience, right? And how does God build in us patience? It's not that he miraculously gives us an extra amount of patience, uh, but instead, he either he either allows circumstances to occur in our life that would then cause us to need to grow in our patience, or uh, or sometimes what I think it is is that he actually makes us more aware uh, of the moments that are already present in our lives and how we can grow in patience in those in those circumstances. But I just I just love this comment right from uh, here. It just said, "My dad always says, don't pray for patience because you just might." get it, right? Again, acknowledging that when we ask God for things like patience or for or for peace or for joy or for hope or those kind of things, 
It's not that God always just miraculously gives us more of those things, but but he he actually he strengthens us and he grows us that we would have a deeper understanding uh, of those right of of what hope actually is or of what joy actually is that we can have this steadfast confidence that everything's going to be okay and often uh, the vehicle that we experience or we get sharpened in in joy is is through suffering is through hardship god uses the sufferings and the hardships of this age to to form us more and more into the image of Jesus. And as we are being formed in the image of Jesus, I think we also grow in in our understanding of, of those attributes of hope and peace and joy and contentment, right? Uh, and, and so God uses the circumstances of our lives to grow us in those areas. And it's the same with patience. I think God uses the circumstances and the relationships in our lives in order to grow us in, in those areas. Well, the next question um, comes here, it, it, again, rooted in or talking about talking about faith. It said, you spoke of faith as a forward-looking trust that is rooted in God's past provision. You also spoke of faithfulness as taking the next right step of obedience. Now, these definitions apply to man, but I wonder how they apply to God. Is God's faithfulness somehow different? I think it's a beautiful question. That's a really great question. And, and yeah, as we are examining the passage here this morning, uh, you know, what we're confronted here with is is Paul's faithfulness. And it really, there's a lot going on in the passage. There's lots of names. There's lots of references. And, and, and we related this morning that sometimes those names or those references can feel a bit trivial or sort of you know why would Luke why would Luke put so many of them of them in there right he names Priscilla and Aquila and he talks about why they're in Corinth right uh, they were in Corinth because there was a decree by Claudius um, that they had to get out of town in Rome they were in Italy and when when Luke says Italy he's he's most likely meaning Rome and, and Priscilla and Aquila as we know in the letter of the Romans they're they're uh, attached to the Roman Church so so we know that they're they're coming from Rome. And and the reason that they're in Corinth is because they've been kicked out of town. And, and so uh, why does Luke put details like that? Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth because of a, of a decree by Claudius or uh, Galileo. Why does he why does he take time to to make all of these references? Couldn't he just tell us that? God gave gave Paul a vision, and then uh, when the when the when the mobs came for Paul, that 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 he was rescued by the hand of God, and the charges were dropped, and all of that. Why does Luke have to put all these little references in there? And, and we we said it this way: we said that uh, again, Luke is trying to bolster the the purpose for writing uh, or the motivation for writing both his gospel and the book of Acts, is to bolster or to spur on the faith of his friend Theophilus. Theophilus is an influential Greek leader, um, influential uh, member of society. He's, he's converted to Christianity and most likely struggling in his faith at this point, right? The first century is a very difficult time to be a Christian, especially if you are a prominent uh, political or prominent member of society like Theophilus was. And so uh, Luke is giving him the evidence, right, to, uh, to look back and to test out, you know, Theophilus, your commitment to Jesus isn't a ridiculous one. It's one that makes sense. And you can go back and, you know, if you want to go to Corinth, here are people in Corinth that you can talk to and so on and so forth. He's given him all of these landmarks to test 
uh, the, the claims, to test his claims back against and to spur Theophilus on that if these details are right and if these people and their lives are being changed, then Theophilus' faith in Jesus is, is, is well-centered, right? He's, he's done good to put his faith in Jesus because Jesus really is the one who can change our lives. Um, so we, we have that, um, you know, and and so we see that, but but that's an important part of what's going on here in seven in the seventeen verses. But the significant part theologically is is that Paul is is faithful. He arrives in Corinth, pressure mounts, um, and I'm I'm assuming at that point in time that 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 he's probably thinking of okay, well let's pack up shop and move on to the next town. That's been kind of the rhythm, right? Uh, share the gospel. Some believe. Persecution begins. Paul moves on to the next to the next town, and, and yet in the middle of the night, Jesus gives Paul a vision, and he says, "I want you to stay here. I'm going to protect you. No one's going to harm you. Um, you know, uh, keep sharing the gospel. And I've got many people in this city that are my people. And, and so Paul takes the next right step of obedience. That is to stay in Corinth, not pack up and move on the next day. And he keeps staying in Corinth until God releases him. And that ends up being an 18-month stay in Corinth. And in that time, God kept Paul safe. He did what he promised to do. And so I think, you know, when we think of the faith and faithfulness, and just as this question said, uh, those are kind of man-centered definitions. And, and that's that's right. You know, so how does God embody this idea, you know, uh, of faithfulness? And there's this Old Testament word, um, uh, chesed, and it, it's often translated as loving kindness or just or just love in the in the Old Testament. Um, and, and so what it means, though, is that God's love is loyal. It expresses this this loyal tone to God's love. It's it's not it's just not it's not a mere affection kind of love. You know, I love you or um, I love pizza, right? I've got a great affection for pizza. But it is actually this this deep down loyalty. It's a commitment, right? That's not going to be broken. It's the kind of love that we talk about when we talk about marriage, um, right? And we take our vows till death do us part for richer or for poor, uh, for in good health or in, in sickness, right? We take these vows to say, I'm 100% in this thing with you. And that's how God's love is described in the Old Testament. It's described through the word chesed, and it's used, it's used uh, I think, almost 200 times in the Old Testament. And in that, God's love is described as, as loyal, as, as, as faithful, as always going to be present to you. He's never going to break his promise. He's never going to give up on, uh, on those things. And, and, or on you. And so that's how God relates to the people of Israel. That's how God relates to us through Jesus, that he loves us so much that he would never give up on us. He's loyal to us. And so uh, God's faithfulness is actually predicated or, or it's the foundation uh, for our own faithfulness. The difference is that, that God doesn't struggle with sin, right? God doesn't struggle to do the next right thing. God is sovereign. God is providential. Um, Romans chapter 8, God works out all things for good of those who love him, right? So God is even able to take the, the tragedies and the sufferings of our life, and he's able to, to work 
work them out some way for our good and his glory, right? And that it pushes us back to him more, to see him more correctly, to love him more deeply. And in that way, even grow us through suffering and grow us through hardship where we can, as James says, where we can count our trials as joy. Why? Because they produce a harvest of righteousness in us. As we go through those hard times, we're able to, we're building into that uh, trusting God bank, right? We are, we're seeing God show up time and time again. So, so God's faithfulness is, is one of those things where it's, it's described as always loyal. And in fact, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, King Ahaz, we, we talk about this in our Advent series, King Ahaz is struggling, right? His nation is surrounded by enemies uh, to the north, to the south, to the west, and even, even on the eastern, um, or, or excuse me, even on the eastern, the, the western edge, I always get east and west mixed up there, but even on the western edge uh, by, the, by the sea there, uh, there, he's got enemies, there's an encampment there, uh, then to the east, He's got enemies. He's got the Assyrian Empire out there. He's got Egyptians to the north, the Syro-Ephraimite alliance to the to the north, and, and so he's literally surrounded. And he knows that it's just a matter of time that his his country will be overwhelmed by military uh, attack. And so he needs an ally. He knows he needs an ally, someone stronger than himself to defend himself. And so Isaiah the prophet goes to him and says, "God will." be your ally. God will rescue you. God will defend you. God will keep you uh, from your from your enemies if you just trust in him. And, and so uh, then he then Isaiah says just ask God for a sign and he will he'll give it to you. What's what's really interesting here in this in Isaiah chapter 7, the promise to Ahaz is given in the past tense. In Hebrew, it's written in the past tense, but spoken of for the future. Ask God and he will give you a sign, but it's actually written in the past tense. And so what Isaiah is telling Ahaz is that you can ask God for a sign, but it's so secure that God will give it to you that I can talk about it in the past tense, right? It's something that's so secure and guaranteed. God's faithful provision is so secure and guaranteed that that it can be written about in the past tense as if it has already happened. Right? So we know with our faithfulness, our faithfulness is fleeting, right? Even in our best moments, we're not perfectly faithful. Yet God is always perfectly faithful. And so uh, that's the, the foundation for our faithfulness. That is the foundation and the model for us as we strive to be like Jesus. Not that we will ever be so faithful that we can write about it in the past tense because it's guaranteed to happen in the future. Um, but that, that's, how, that's how God is faithful. And, and he, he's always, he's so steadfast uh, that, that we can talk about it in the past tense that Isaiah could talk about a promise in the past tense that was still yet for the future. Uh, and so that's just, that's just a brilliant picture uh, of God's faithfulness. Yet uh, we are to then uh, model that or we're to walk in towards that in Jesus. Now, we can't do that on our own. And that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. We cannot be faithful like that on our own. Yet God fills us with his spirit and his spirit equips us and enables us to follow Jesus in a life-defining way as we cooperate with the power of the spirit who encourages us and corrects us and, and calls us out of our sin and up into righteousness. So um, that's a picture of God's faithfulness in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, his love is written that he's loyal, unflinchingly loyal, and that when he gives us a promise, it's so steadfast and secure that 
it can be written about in the past tense because it will come to fruition. Uh, this, this last question here is, is just a practical question. And, uh, and it asks this, what is the best way to find time in our day? It is hard to pull myself out of out of bed in the morning, and then I feel like I'm rushing throughout the day. Uh, this is just a, a, I think, a great, honest, honest question here. One that we all wrestle with. I um, one of the authors that I, I really appreciate. His name is Alan Fadling, and he he wrote a book um, uh, the, called The Unhurried Life. And, and what he's taught, what he talks about in that book is is cultivating rhythms of spiritual disciplines and being present before the Lord and how important that is for us, for our souls, for our hearts, for our emotions. And one of the things he points out in his work is that he actually talks about studies that were done in the 40s and 50s as technology was really beginning to uh, to, to blossom, right? So we're, we're, we're we're well into the industrial age. We've refined, you know, factory life. We know how to uh, make widgets like nobody else can make widgets. And then all of a sudden there's this, you know, this tech, this beginning of the tech boom that really, again, is, is seeing significant rapid growth into the 60s and 70s, but especially, you know, in the 90s with cellular phones and all kinds of things that were coming on the market then. But early on into this into this tech phase, um, it was predicted that you know most people who are working forty hours worth of uh, forty hours at, at a job a week would actually because technology was making us so efficient and we were becoming more and more efficient within our factory and manufacturing lives that we're going to be able to get done in twenty hours in the future, what we could have gotten done, what required 40 hours to get done at that time. And so um, there are, there are lots of people that were actually predicting uh, greater amounts of leisure and greater amounts of relaxation for, for people into the future, right? I mean, think of the cartoon, the Jetsons, you know, just this, this sort of a uh, space age and, and, you know, uh, robots that are serving us and all kinds of things. So the, those were legitimate thoughts and ideas, but Obviously, now that we're living in 2022, we know how this has gone. We're still working 40 plus hours a week. In fact, we are possibly working more hours a week now than what our you know fathers and grandfathers were working, depending upon what they were working in, the fields that they were working in. And not only are we working more hours, but we're getting more done in a week. So technology didn't make us give us more leisure. It actually did the opposite for us. Um, and there's a there's an incre- there's a great burden uh, for us to be hyper connected. There's a great burden to bear. Uh, I mean, when we are hyper connected, and that is that we don't uh, we we feel like uh, we just don't have any time. And, and so I don't know what to give up. I don't know what to put on pause. Um, and, and so, so there's a there's a reality to this. So, be I just want you to be encouraged if you're if you're listening today and going, I don't know how to find time. Uh, don't don't feel bad. Uh, be encouraged. Uh, you are in good company. There are so many people uh, that feel that exact same way. I often feel that exact same way. I don't know uh, how to add more time, uh, you know, in my in my life or my day. And so it's a great problem of the modern age, you know, where people in previous generations were predicting more leisure. We've actually uh, found that we're we're working harder than we've ever worked before and doing more than we've ever done because of technology. So so one of the rhythms that I've cultivated in my life is just to simply do a time audit. Um, I, I am not above using technology to help cultivate my spiritual life. And I've shared this on multiple occasions. 
I, I will, I block everything out in my calendar. And so I use my calendar app on my cell phone and, and, and I will block in uh, time for prayer. I will block in time for uh, God's word or, or, you know, those kind of disciplines. And I'll put it on my calendar because uh, while at some point I feel like it should be so natural or it should be just so normative that I don't have to put it on my calendar, that it's just going to happen. I, I, I've come to realize that if I'm not, if I'm not scheduling it into my day and I'm not using the tools that I use to govern the rest of my day, like my calendar, uh, I'm too easy to fill it up with other things. Um, the second thing that I do is, you know, I, I set limits on my on my cell phone and I try to pay attention to the uh, the time that I'm on my device. And so if you've got an if you've got an iPhone or any Android, um, you can you can track how much time you are on your phone. And, and I think I think if you begin to monitor that, you'll actually be really surprised at how many times you pick up and look at your phone. I remember when I was in student ministry, we used to do this where I would say, um, you know, pick whatever whatever social media was was popular at the time. So Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Um, and I would say, who's brave enough to open up their uh, screen health it's, or digital health is often, I think, what's called a, in, on iOS platforms. And, uh, and who's brave enough to open it up and to tell me how many hours you spent on TikTok this week or on Snapchat or uh, on the internet or on YouTube or whatever it is. And I remember I had a student one time that was, that was brave and they volunteered in front of their peers and said, I spent an average of eight hours a day on Snapchat this week. Eight hours a day. I was just meeting with uh, another uh, young man who's uh, in his in his middle twenties here two weeks ago, and he said he he looked at his screen time on his device. He was spending four hours a day on TikTok, right? Uh, how I I think as we use our devices, there are built-in measurements there to help us to go. Are there things that we are just wasting time? You know, and uh, and so I will. I actually um, on my social media. I'm not a huge social media guy. I don't really like Facebook. I'll check in on it every once in a while. But my social media that I often use is uh, Instagram. And so on Instagram, you can set time limits. And so I have a 30 minute time limit on on Instagram. And so what I do is that when that comes up, if I'm on Instagram, you know, whether it's five minutes here, or five minutes there, but every day, uh, if that if that thirty minute warning comes up, I just I shut it off and I don't come back to it, right? Um, so I think you know doing a time audit of your day. So whether it's using your technology, your device to go, how much time am I actually on my device? How much time am I looking at my device? Right? I think we I think we'll be surprised at how often and how much time we devote to looking at those things. But I also will spend time, you know a two to three week chunk every once in a while. And I'll just do a time audit where I list out everything that I do in a day in half hour increments. Right. And and so I just want to, I want to be able to analyze how am I really spending my time? You know, what am I really investing into? And maybe that sounds, you know, uh, for some, it might sound, you know, like too much. It's over the top. It's what works for me. It helps me to analyze and to go, oh, I was spending time, you know, an hour a day doing this this thing, which may not be bad, right? Um, I gave an example of my teacher in high school, or my eighth grade English teacher who gave up reading the comics on Saturdays because he felt like that was taking him away from the Lord. But when I do time audits, I can begin to identify patterns uh, of where I might be uh, not spending my time in the most wise or God-honoring way. And sometimes it's just stuff that it's like, 
That's not necessarily bad. That's not necessarily sinful. But in this season, I need to just pause that and 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 reorient myself to making sure that I'm spending time with God. I think the other thing here is that don't beat yourself up because this is hard. Um, uh, we talk about faithfulness today. We talk about taking the next right step of obedience, not all the right steps of obedience at once. We can't do that. Um, we're, we're not going to follow Jesus perfectly. We're going to fail. Um, so what is the next right step. So let's say, let's say you're not spending any time, you know, in the word in the week. And I think that's a, that's a relevant thing. Um, you know, lots of people find themselves going, man, I just don't know how to open up my Bible during the week. I don't know where to find the time. Well, start by cultivating 10 minutes in the word twice a week, right? Uh, then, then do that for a month and then take the next right step of obedience. Uh, instead of, instead of doing it twice a week, do it four times a week or three times a week, right? Just increase your rhythm and your appetite for it. And as you do that faithfully, as you do that time and time again, I think you actually begin to cultivate your appetite for those kind of things. Um, uh, I know I know. for me, I'm a, I'm a morning person. And so getting up is, is fairly easy. But for my wife, she's not. Um, yet I've watched her change her routine, cultivate it. It's it, Takes a, it took a long time and a long time of intentionality, but where she cultivated because in this season with little kids, there's just no getting away from them except for when you're up early in the morning. That's the only time we have quiet in the house. She used to laugh at me when we didn't have kids and I'd be up early, um, you know, but uh, you can do it. And, and remember, God gives you his spirit. He fills you with his Holy Spirit to enable you with the strength and the courage and the boldness to take that next right step of obedience. But but don't uh, don't overwhelm yourself by saying, I've got to take all the next right steps. Just take the next right step. You don't take all of them at once. That's overwhelming. And we just uh, we often we often fail uh, in that in that arena. So uh, know that you're not you're not alone. You know, this is hard. It's hard to cultivate spiritual disciplines. Why? Well, because our, our flesh doesn't want us to to lean into Jesus. Our flesh wants us to lean into our own way, into our own thinking, into our own wisdom. But taking taking step at a time, step at a time, uh, like I said, using analyzing how are you spending your time. You, you use your phone uh, to to block uh, time in with with the Lord, and it doesn't have to be in the morning, right? Um, take it take it over your lunch break. You know, take a half an hour over your lunch break uh, just to to lean in and to and to read the Word of God. You know, withdraw from the from the busyness of the day. You, you can also find other times in your day. It doesn't just have to be in the morning. Um, but but uh, often I found also that when I when I do recenter my life in those ways, it helps me to not feel as busy or as rushed. And that's a, a beautiful byproduct of that discipline that's cultivated. So, well, again, thanks for your questions. Uh, love chewing on these questions here with you as we want to create a dialogue around God's word because we believe it's living and active and it will change us from the inside out as it transforms our hearts, it transforms our minds, and it transforms our minds, it transforms our lives. We'll see you next week.